0: You are listening to The Sermon Podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. It's so good to be with you here this morning. We made it after a couple of wrong turns, coming from Minneapolis, but we're here, and I'm so grateful to be here this morning. Pastor Todd asked me to come after I spoke to a women's event this past spring that Aaron had asked me to come speak at. I actually was I was actually Aaron's sister's RA at Bethel, so we have that connection. That's how I got all connected here. Um, like like um, he said, my name's Leah. I am from Minnesota. My husband is from Wisconsin, Tim, and he's here with us today. We lived in Denver, Colorado for 10 years, where I went to Denver Seminary, and then for five years, I was pastoring at an inner city church in Denver. Um, In Denver, we gave birth to our two boys. There's going to be a picture on the screen. Um, They are now 10 and 7, going into fifth grade and into second grade, and I'm just going, how did that happen so fast? And at the same time, We finally made it to these years, and we are so happy with them. Parenting is not for the faint of heart, so we think of Aaron and Todd this morning. Um, But this past season, this past spring, was one of those seasons where you could coin the phrase, when it rains, it pours for us. I honestly don't remember everything that happened I don't remember all of the things that compiled on one another. What I do know is I was working in a job in the public schools as a um, special education paraprofessional. Um, At the same school my kids were going and the the behaviors seemed to be escalating through the school years. My 10 year old would come home crying frustrated with members of his classroom. My seven year old was having minor (laughs) behavior issues probably related to his own anxiety and frustration at school. Um, we were just triggered all over the place. Money was tight. I was working part-time, minimal pay. Tim is a mechanic, um, and his body was just struggling from all the manual labor. And it just felt like everywhere we turned, there were problems and stresses. And it was on top of this that the first thaw came after all of that snow. And there was a rainstorm, and the water just went directly into our basement. And... We were tired, we were worn out, and I remember Tim sitting down on the couch saying, I don't know if I can do this. I I don't know if we can do one more thing. If there's gonna be one more thing that happens right now, what will we do? Unfortunately, within a month, there was more. Um, We were driving through northern Wisconsin on Good Friday at 9 p.m., and I hit a deer, which is not fun. I ended up having pain throughout my neck and shoulders for like a month, chronic headaches. But that same day, my sister's father-in-law took his own life and we were spinning with this grief, stress, anxiety. And I asked, what do you do when it pours? What do you do when all of the circumstances come at once like that? Cause we all have these circumstances. We all have times in our lives where we're dealing with death, unexpectedly, or an illness. When businesses fail or a job is lost. When a child is rebellious or in pain. I know that all of our communities have been hit hard this past spring. Some of us overperform, and we work harder, and we think if I can just grip the wheel, white knuckle it, then I can get through this and it'll be okay. Other people underperform, kind of give up and just become listless and stop. Either way, these are coping mechanisms that we use to get through stressful times. And I wonder, is there another way? Is there another way that we can cope? That we can not only cope, but thrive in difficult circumstances. Our passage today is Psalm 3. The subtitle in our Bibles tells us that David wrote this psalm when he was running from his son Absalom. This is one of those stories we might be so familiar with that the gravity of it is lost on us. So let's stop and think about it. David. King David was running from his own son, fearful for his life. King David is afraid of his own, for his own life, running from his son. If that's not a difficult circumstance, I'm not sure what is. But how could this happen? How could it come to this point? Well, years before, there was a crisis between David and Absalom. And Absalom decided to stand outside the city gates, and he acted like a judge. He would sit there and wait for people to come to him with their problems, and he would judge them he acted like a leader with power and authority and he eventually swayed the people to follow him he stood there for four years and David didn't question him doing this so for four years he stood and gathered the people towards him eventually he brought 200 men to Hebron where they declared him as King and the people moved to overthrow David As it says in 2 Samuel 15, 13, the people of Israel had turned their hearts to Absalom. Hearing of this, David and his people fled. They left the city, and all the citizens of Jerusalem stood there and mourned as they watched David's household walk by. David covered his head, he walked barefoot, and he tore his robes in grief. At one point, a descendant of Saul threw dirt and stones on him and cursed him. And David allowed this. He allowed it without retribution, hoping that God would see him. And it is in this place of complete humiliation that we have Psalm 3. So I'm reading it from the NIV this morning. Please feel free to follow along while we read through it one time, and then we'll go back and look at it closer says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. And there's a lot going on in these verses. So let's go slow, (laughs) read, reflect, and learn from David here. In the first two verses, the word many is repeated three times. Quick lesson in Hebrew poetry, if anything's repeated, you pay attention to it. So what does the word many mean? It doesn't translate well into English, but the word many actually means like a building of, of numbers to have become many or to multiply. So the sense is that David's foes, his enemies, are increasing in number as he goes. It is not a stagnant threat. It's an increasing threat. But what is the main threat to David? Does he, is he fearful for his physical life? Well, maybe. But there's a hidden word in verse 2 that I, actually excites me very much. <laughs> the word is nephesh and it's translated me. But the pronoun me doesn't really cover it. It actually means my soul. The concept is it's the center of my being. It's the core of who we are. If we, in Hebrew, if you're to speak to your own soul, speaking to your own deepest place within you, you are speaking up to your thoughts, emotions, building yourselves up. But if someone else comes and tries to speak to you, to that part of you, They are attempting to influence or control you to your deepest level. They are trying to not only make verbal threats, they're not only physical threats, but they're trying to sway David at the core of his being, at the core of his thoughts and his beliefs and his emotions. And they are saying to him, God is not going to deliver you. They recognize that David's identity and his relationship is found in his relationship with God, and they're trying to take that away. They're trying to make him believe that God will not be faithful to him, that God will not be there for him, that God will not come through in these terrible circumstances. They're attacking his faith and his hope in the Lord's salvation and deliverance. A.W. Tozer said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing of who we are. What we believe about God determines how so much of us. It affects how we live our daily lives and our relationships with one another and with ourselves. It's how We function out of our beliefs every day. So when these enemies, these foes are pressing in on David here, they're not just trying to attack his life. They're trying to shake him to the core of his being and to make him vulnerable to their attack. And when we experience the rain, the times when all seems to be going wrong in our lives, it can be tempting to believe that God has also turned against us, that he has abandoned us and will not save us from our circumstances. The deceiver, the father of all lies, wants nothing more than to lead us from the truth about God, our Savior. He points to the evidences around us, and says, God will not save you. God is not on your side. You are not valuable to him. And this message is oppressive. It attacks the core of our being and our identity, our relationship with God. It attacks our identity as the one who God loves. So our only hope is the truth. And that's where David turns next. Verse 3 says, But you, Lord, are a shield around me. And the shield is not like a Captain America shield where you hold it right in front of you and use it to block the shots. This is a shield that completely surrounds. So in front of, behind, and the sides, and above. It's like a force field, if you will. You are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. When David says, the Lord is my glory, I kind of wonder, what does that mean? You're my glory. I don't, I don't use that language day to day. You are my glory. <laughs> what it means is that God has given him his glory. He has given him his worth. He has given him value and honor. In our culture, we ascribe value and honor to one another based on our performance based on success, on our work, on our finances. But here, in the midst of this struggle where David has lost everything, where he's lost his kingdom, David recognizes that his glory has not come from those things, but it comes from God. God gives him honor. God gives him worth. Finally, the Lord lifts up my head. And this is significant. We think of, think of someone who's in shame, who's humiliated. They might lay their head low, right? They might lower their head. Or someone who's arrogant. You'd think of the nose up in the air, right? In the ancient Near East, they also used that. But even more, a king would lift their head to show approval towards someone, like, I, I recognize you, I, I honor you. And at the same time, the head was used to describe a victor in battle, they would, they would take the, the enemy that was defeated and they lay him on the ground and put their foot on the neck of the person who was defeated and push them down low. David has been humbled. His head is on the ground. He can do nothing of his own strength to restore his dignity from that position. But the Lord comes and lifts him up. The Lord comes and restores David's honor, his personhood, and his value. The imagery here is from humiliation to restoration, from despair to hope. And it's from that confidence that David calls out in faith and that God hears him. It says he calls out to the Lord and the Lord hears him and he knows he hears him how often do we instead of calling knowing this about ourselves how often do we feel like we need to prove our worth instead i know that i have that tendency i'm a performer (laughs) i like to know that i'm doing things well but with young children they have a they have a way of getting to me and pulling me down (laughs) my own kids one day when my oldest was about five four or five We were having a tough night. I had come home from work. Dinner was being prepared. They were hungry and screaming at me, which is always a great experience. (laughs) Tears were flying. Anger was high, and I was doing the best that I could to keep everyone calm and happy, but really, I just couldn't do it. I wasn't enough in that moment, and I found myself yelling, I can't do this! I can't do this! and I fell to my knees on the kitchen floor before God and my kids and I cried. A moment later, sweet Jack came around in front of me and he he literally lifted my chin and he looked at me and he held my face in his little hands and he just smiled at me. It was the most incredible experience. And he leaned in and gave me a hug and in that moment he restored something in me he restored my sense of self and how much more does god restore us he loves us greater than any person can love us it's so easy to not believe that because we don't see him right here he's not physically lifting us up i think he was in my son's hands that day and david knew that though all may take away his value, God had not. He says this most amazing thing. I lie down and sleep. In the midst of all the enemies, in the midst of the loss, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. The danger is still very real. The enemy is still growing and coming after David. But in the midst of this, David is able to lie down and sleep. How many struggle to fall asleep at night, when there's so many things going on in our minds, so many things that are preoccupying our thoughts? David was able to sleep. How? He knew he was safe in God's presence. When my friend Kelly gave birth to her daughter, Amaya. Amaya did not want to be put down at all. They would go days holding her, (laughs) she and her husband, sleeping, holding her in their arms. She needed their presence to be calm and secure. Unfortunately, Kelly also was recovering from a really hard labor and was not as strong as usual. And she bent over, holding Amaya, she bent over to pick something up, and her legs went out from underneath her. It was really scary. Um, And Kelly was all shaken, and she looked at Amaya to see if Amaya was okay. And Amaya just kept sleeping. Amaya knew that she was safe in her mom's arms. That's the assurance that David has. Though there is a danger that's present, he knows he is safe but David was not content to just sit still in the midst of this attack and keep it coming. He, like the rest of us, he wants the attack to end. (laughs) He wants his enemies defeated. So he calls out in verse seven, he says, arise, Lord, deliver me, my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. From the Lord comes deliverance. (laughs) May your blessing be on your people. David has already expressed his faith that God will save him. He has stated that he knows who God is. He's able to sleep under stressful circumstances. And he calls out to God to act. He trusts him to care for him. And he asks him to care for him. The NIV translates this here as a petition to God strike the enemies of my jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. The New American Standard Bible translates it past tense. For you have smitten my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. And the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it in the present tense. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. So which is it? Again, this is one of those places where English just doesn't have the language that the Hebrew did. This affirmation that God has done these things in the past. God is doing these things now, and he will do this in the future. David knows that God was faithful before. He's faithful now, and he will be faithful. Why? Because salvation belongs to our God. From the Lord comes deliverance. So how do we... How do you and I get to this place of trust and assurance of God's salvation? What do we do when it begins to pour? Years ago, I began to practice the presence of God. And this is a spiritual discipline that was made popular, you know, really centuries ago by letters from a man named Brother Lawrence. He was a Benedictine monk. Excuse me. Oswald Chambers. Defined practicing the presence of God as this We must notion our minds with the idea that God is there If once the mind is notioned along that line Then when you are in difficulties, it is as easy as breathing to remember Why my father knows all about it. It's not an effort. It comes naturally when perplexities press We notion our minds with the idea that God is there so I began to focus my mind that God is here. And I noticed that my prayers often had been, Lord, come down, come be here. And I assumed God was far away, listening from some mountaintop. <laughs> God is somewhere else, and I need Him here. And one time while I was driving, and God often speaks to me when I'm driving, <laughs> I don't know why, He asked me, When you're suffering, when you're in pain and hurting, why do you assume that I'm not with you? Why do you think I'm not there? And it hit me that in times of trouble, I don't believe God's present with me because I'm not feeling the way I think I should feel. If God was present, we might rationalize, we would experience a thrill or absolute calm or peace rather than trusting that he is there with us even when we're feeling hard things. But the presence of God is not a feeling, it's the truth. We may experience different manifestations of God's presence, but if we focus on those things and if we're always searching for those experiences, we have a false understanding of God and how he works. He doesn't always act in that way, but he is always near. He is always active, and he is with us, whether we experience him the same way or not. But how do we do this? How do we really root ourselves into this? It's easy to say, just practice the presence of God. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) I have three suggestions for you today of different ways to practice this the first one is breath prayers author whitney simpson defines breath prayers as a simple intimate repetitive prayer that can be repeated during each inhalation and exhalation drawing you near to the spirit of god so with every time we take a breath in we inhale a name of god or an attribute of god or we we think of god and then when we exhale We repeat a prayer, we repeat a truth about us. For example, Brennan Manning offered this prayer to a struggling nun, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, you breathe in, Abba, and exhale, I belong to you. And repeat, when I was pregnant with my second born, I began to pray, the Lord is my shepherd, so i inhale, The Lord is my shepherd, exhale, I have everything that I need. We can take verse 3 of Psalm 3, Lord, breathe in, Lord, lift up my head. The beauty of a breath prayer is that we can grab it at any time, in our moment of greatest need, and especially during times when we can't just sit down and have 15 to 20 minutes of prayer. Breath prayers got me through early motherhood they're back into the reality that God is with me at every moment. Another option is what's called centering prayer. and This is another prayer that's been around for centuries but has been lost I think. And I confess centering prayer is difficult, it is new to me, but I've been learning that individuals who practice it experience less anxiety, they experience greater health, less dependence on therapy, and that got my attention. Centering prayer is difficult because you're not doing anything while you pray. You're not going through a list of prayer requests. You're not going through a list of this is how I should pray to God. It is simply sitting and being with God. Many people will meditate on a name of God or a word to meditate and focus on Him during it. I find it's easier to practice by just repeating the name Yahweh over and over and over again. And You start with five minutes, stretch to 10, 15, 20. It is simply being in God's presence. And if you have young kids, don't worry about doing this because it's nearly impossible. I know this. (laughs) Stick with the breath prayers. But centering prayer is freeing because we don't have to perform in your prayer. God's not waiting for you to do a checklist of prayer. You are simply with God, acknowledging his presence, and that increases our faith and experience of God being present with us. Finally is Sabbath. And Sabbath, I believe, is a practice of of ultimate trust. It asks us, will you be okay if you stop working? Because the Sabbath, to practice Sabbath, literally means to stop. It's the ultimate act of trust to stop. Sometimes we escape our pain or escape our circumstances by working harder. We do more. We don't sit down. Like, I won't be okay if I don't do this extra work today. And God asks us instead to stop and turn to him and trust him to provide for all of the things that we need. To stop and spend a day of rest and to rely on the presence of God. Last week, around the dinner table, somehow we got into a conversation about where God is. And this doesn't happen very often. But my son Jack pointed up and he said, He's up there. And Tim said, Is he in our bedroom? <laughs> and Tim, Jack's like, No, up higher on our roof. No, higher. And then Ben said, he's not up there, he's right here, and he pointed next to himself. And then he pointed to Tim, next to Tim and me, and he said, he's right there, and he's right there, and he's right there. And I said to Tim, yes, we're having a conversation about the transcendence and imminence of God. <laughs> we are in the presence of God, who is greater than all things. He is greater than our troubles. And we are in the presence of God, who is right here with us in the midst of them. He is the one who created us, who formed our bodies, and he embodies our breath. He is sovereign over the universe, and he is our closest friend. When it pours, we can rely on the presence of God, the God who is with us, and the God who saves. Let's pray. Lord God, I am grateful that you are with us here today, and I am grateful that you are Lord over our circumstances, that you are greater than the things that keep us up at night, that you are greater than the rain that pours through our homes. Heavenly Father, I lift up the burdens that we carry and we entrust them to you, Lord. We trust that you hear our prayers, you are taking care of us, you are restoring our souls. You are the God who loves us and is actively working on our behalf. Thank you, Lord God, for being the God who saves. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at BethelCov.org.